This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, back in, uh, I guess it was 2015 when we first started Tenant, we started talking about this idea we called substrate enrichment in botanical-style aquariums. I love to come up with weird terms like that, I guess. But in other words, it was about adding botanical materials to the more traditional substrates of sand and gravel and stuff like that. And at first glance, the idea seems rather normal in many aspects. I mean, planted aquarium enthusiasts have been adding various supplements to their substrates for decades with the intention of providing beneficial trace elements and nutrients for plants. However, what we're talking about here is enriching the substrate for the purpose of not only imparting tannins and humic substances into the water, but for providing uh, a growth substrate for microbial and crustacean life forms that could reside in the substrate. Things like fungal growths and biofilms, not primarily for growing plants. Basically, it's a means of enhancing the substrate to help enhance the ecology of the aquarium. And when you examine the substrates found in a lot of the natural habitats that we love so much, they often appear to be anything but just sand. There are many times they're a mixture of a variety of materials, including the sands, sediments, muds, clays, and botanical materials. And they also have bits and pieces of tree roots, branches, you know, seed pods, all kinds of stuff in them. These materials not only look different than what we've been playing with in the aquarium, they also function in unique ways, not only influencing the water chemistry, but the biology and the ecology of these wild aquatic habitats as well. Now, of course, in nature, there's numerous factors which contribute to the composition of these substrates, including the geology, the flow velocities of the water, the surrounding topography, the seasonal variations in water level, you know, the inundation and desiccation cycles, the accumulation of materials from the surrounding terrestrial environment, what falls into the water. Nature utilizes almost everything at her disposal in order to create and maintain aquatic ecosystems. So why do we as hobbyists who want to create the most realistic approximations of these wild habitats, just sort of mail it in when it comes to substrate. I mean, just open a bag of aquarium sand or whatever and call it a day and move on to the more exciting part of the tank, right? As I just mentioned, we talk about the idea of substrate enhancement or enrichment in the context of botanical materials. And enrichment, you know, means to me, again, creating a nutritious, if you will, substrate that also happens to look more natural and has a more functional bent to it. Uh, one which provides a, a real haven for microbial life as well as for small crustaceans and invertebrates. There's something oddly compelling to me when I look at both aquariums and natural you know, habitats with this diverse, interesting bottom structure. I'm fascinated by the idea of using alternative materials or alternative substrates in our aquariums. Not, you know, not just for the looks, but for the function. And there's virtually unlimited options for alternative substrate materials, particularly stuff like twigs, leaves, crushed leaves, roots, all that kind of stuff. I remember looking at uh, one of my tanks not long ago, and it hit me how, I don't know, happy the fishes seem poking around their 
you know, bed of broken twigs and leaves that made up the majority of the substrate in the tank that they were in. And I thought, that's really interesting. It's beyond just the simple aesthetics. And again, the function to me is as fascinating as the aesthetic part. It's very much a representation of what we see in nature. And to our fishes, it's what they've evolved to exist in. And our fishes take two aquariums that are set up to recruit these biofilms and fungal growths and so forth really easily. And guess what? Not only do you ultimately learn to love the look, well, geeks like me do, you begin to notice the incredible stability of an aquarium managed with what I half-jokingly call an active substrate, to borrow a term from our vivarium friends. Obviously, the key to the functional part of a substrate-centric aquarium is, wait for it, the substrate materials that you use. I like to use little stuff like broken bits of twigs and root pieces mixed with little bits of leaves I, I, and sand and substrate uh, materials consisting of um, sediments, things like that. My substrates look anything but boring. And I think when they, when you lay down these materials loosely on the bottom of a tank, it creates a sort of a matrix to capture detritus, foster microorganism growth, and facilitate the growth of our BFFs, biofilm and fungal growths. Yeah, those guys again. Now, Without boring you to death for the 20th time, let's just suffice it to say that biofilms are structures that form when bacteria adhere to surfaces in a watery environment and begin to excrete the sort of slimy glue-like substance of sugars and other compounds that can stick to all sorts of things, like in our case, botanicals. And it occurs quickly. It starts with a few bacteria taking advantage of this abundant and comfy surface area that leaves and seed pods and driftwood offer. And then the early adopters, the early bacteria, sort of put out the welcome mat for the other bacteria by providing a more diverse adhesion site, like a matrix of sugars that holds the biofilm together. And since some bacteria species are incapable of attaching to a surface on their own, they often anchor themselves to the matrix or directly to their buddies who arrived at the party first, and it just gets bigger and bigger from there. Kind of like a big old party, right? And we could go on and on all day telling you that this is completely natural and it looks super cool and all that stuff. And I can say that, and I will. Yet, understandably, it may not make some of you guys feel good. Again, I ask you to make a mental shift to accept biofilms as a perfectly natural occurrence, one which is just ubiquitous in the natural habitats from where many of our fishes hail. And then there's the fungi. Now, fungi are a little different. Um, fungi reproduce by releasing little spores that then germinate on new and hospital surfaces, uh, hospitable surfaces, excuse me, hospital surfaces too probably but i don't want to talk about that but pretty much anywhere they damn well please and, and, and these aquatic fungi are involved in the decay of wood and leafy material and of course when you submerge terrestrial materials in water growths of fungi tend to arise anybody who's ever cured a piece of wood in your aquarium could attest to that they colonize wood because it, it offers them a lot of surface area to thrive and live out their life cycle and the cellulose and hemocellulose and lignin which are the major components of wood and botanical materials are degraded by fungi, which possess these enzymes that can digest this stuff. Fungi are regarded by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves and streams, so this gives you some idea as to why we see them in our aquariums, doesn't it? And of course, fishes and invertebrates, which live amongst and feed directly upon the fungi and the decomposing leaves and the botanicals, contribute also to the breakdown of this stuff. But fungi can break down the leaf matrix and make the energy in leaves available to feeding animals pretty quickly. Here's a little gem I found in my research um, not long ago, and I'll just quote read it right to you here. There is evidence that detritivores selectively feed on conditioned leaves, i.e. those previously colonized by fungi. Fungi can alter the food quality and palatability of leaf detritus, affecting shredder growth rates. Now, shredders are those animals that shred leaves. 
Animals that feed on a diet rich in fungi have a higher growth rate and fecundity than those fed on poorly colonized leaves. Some shredders prefer to feed on leaves that are colonized by fungi, whereas others consume fungal mycelium selectively. The mycelium is the, the gooey part of the fungi. Conditioned leaves in this context are those which have previously been colonized by fungi, right? So that makes sense. So again, they make the energy within the leaves and botanicals more available to the higher organisms like our fishes and, you know, maybe shrimp and stuff. Now, the aquatic, the aquatic fungi, which will typically decompose litter, uh, leaf litter and wood, are a group known as aquatic hyphomycites. Try that on your next cocktail party. Uh, another group of specialty fungi, uh, aquatic, uh, excuse me, uh, another group of specialty ones called aeroaquatic hyphomycites. This is a real tongue twister, right? These guys colonize submerged plant detritus in like stagnant and slow moving water, like puddles, shallow ponds and flooded forest areas. Now, fungal communities differ between various environments, and that's kind of something that's interesting, too. We see them in our own tanks all the time, don't we? And sure, it's easy to get scared by this stuff, and surprisingly, it's easier to exploit it as a food source for your animals. We just have to make the mental shift that says, this stuff's not bad, leave it, let it be. I remember the first few botanical-style tanks I created, almost like 20 years ago now, and it would hit me, you know, it hit that phase early on when the fungal growth began to appear on my botanical substrate. And I'd hear my friends tell me, yep, your tank's going to turn into a big pile of shit, Felman. Told you that, you know, you can't put that stuff in there. Because that's what they've been told. The prevailing mindset was, and kind of is in the hobby, that the appearance of these organisms was an indication of their unsuitability, uh, or the aquarium's unsuitability as an, as an environment for fishes. And anyone who's ever studied basic ecology and biology understands that the complete opposite is true. The appearance of these little life forms is an indicator that your aquarium environment's ideal to foster a healthy, diverse community of organisms, including the fishes, just like in nature. I remember telling myself that this is what I knew was going to happen. I knew how biofilms and fungal growths appear on these undefended surfaces and that they are essentially, you know, they're essentially harmless, exploiting a favorable environment. And I knew that fungi appear and help break down leaves and botanicals. I knew that these are perfectly natural occurrences and that they're typically transitory and self-limiting to some extent, extent, you know, it's normal. I knew they'd eventually subside or at least, you know, reach a, a phase where there weren't tons and tons of them all over the tank. But I also knew there'd be a period of time when the tank might look like a big pool of slimy shit or rather uh, it might look like a pile of slimy shit to those who weren't familiar with these life forms, how they grow and how the natural habitats that we love so much actually function and appear. So to reassure myself, I would stare for hours at underwater photos of the Amazon regions showing you know, all these decomposing leaves and biofilms and fungi all over the leaf litter. And I'd read studies by researchers like Henderson and Walker detailing the dynamics of these zones and seeing how productive they are. I'd pour over my water quality test, confirming for myself that you know everything was okay, and it always was. And of course, I would watch my fishes for any size of you know, distress, and I just never saw them. Just like in nature, the habitats that we created are optimal for our fishes. And looking at the wild habitats that models for functional ecology opens up a whole new opportunity for us as aquarists. Ecologically, the productivity and diversity of these habitats makes them the perfect subs, you know, subjects for replicating in our tanks. Not only do they offer unique aesthetics, they offer really cool opportunities to see how they can function in closed systems like an aquarium. When fishes are kept in a representation of a habitat which mimics its form and function, enormous potential for discoveries and success prevents them presents itself and prevents itself boy i'm having a tongue twister day aren't i anyway stuff like twigs roots and seed pods incorporated into your substrate in an aquarium creates this remarkably faithful you know recreation of the ecology and the appearance of 
natural habitats. And it all starts with looking at some of the features of natural aquatic habitats. Look at the way rocks, soil, and branches and all that stuff comes together to form these interesting physical spaces that the fishes utilize for protection, for foraging, and reproduction. By happenstance, these formerly terrestrial features often become important and unique underwater microhabitats that fishes could exploit for food, protection, and spawning sites. By replicating that complex look and physical attributes of these features, including, you know, a rich substrate and roots and leaves, we offer our fishes all sorts of potential microhabitats. In the aquarium, we tend to focus on the macro level, creating a nice wood stack and maybe incorporating some rock, but we seldom see the whole picture allowed to come together in a more natural way. And I've always been a fan in my aquarium keeping work of allowing nature to take its course in some things, as you know. And this is a philosophy which plays right into my love of dynamic aquarium substrates. If left to their own devices, they function in an efficient, almost predictable manner. Nature has this thing about finding a way to work with all sorts of stuff. And I have this thing about not wanting to mess with stuff once it's up and running smoothly. Like, I'll engage in regular maintenance, you know, water exchanges, etc. But I avoid any heavy tweaks as a matter of practice. In particular, I tend not to disrupt the substrate in my aquariums. There's a lot of stuff going on now, you know, down there, and amazing stuff. Even in non-planted aquariums, playing with the stuff opens up a whole new area of aquarium exploration. And like any dynamic habitat, the botanical-style stub- substrate, boy, am I twisting the words today, right? I can't talk. I don't know why. <laughs> it's funny. started late in the day, and that's probably my problem. Anyway, what I was trying to say is like any dynamic, you know, habitat, the botanical-style substrate relies on a variety of organisms to do the job processing nutrients and creating the ecology of the aquarium. And when you have a healthy and diverse assemblage of organisms dwelling in this layer, ranging from bacteria to fungi to worms and crustaceans, you've got what's called the infauna. And essentially the infauna is a collective of organisms which do most of the work in keeping a botanical style aquarium functional and healthy. It's pretty cool. So it really, my, my advice to you is be kind to your substrate and it's gonna be a really kind back. Trust me on that. There's a lot more to the bottom than a pile of clean white sand, and that's for sure. Think about the ecology of your tank. Just keep using that word. And think about the alternatives to plain old sand. Stay creative. Stay bold. Stay curious. Stay patient. Stay focused. Stay well-spoken. Don't tongue twist like I have today. <laughs> and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tin and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.